0: and welcome to the season two finale of the Once Broken Podcast. I'm Bianca Madison Amos. This season seems to have just flown by. I had so much fun, y'all, and I hope you did too. I had so many exhilarating conversations this season, and I am so grateful to all my guests. I am also grateful for you, my listeners, who continue to show up every single week. Thank you so much for tuning into my episodes. Thank you for your shout outs on social media. Your support means so much to me. As I begin to plan season three, I want to hear your thoughts and your feedback. So go ahead and shoot me a DM or send me an email at oncebrokenpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Celeste Holbrook, a sexologist who is dedicated to helping women experience soul-centered sex. And today we're going to be talking about overcoming sexual shame. Hi Celeste. Hi Bianca, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I am just so eager to hear your thoughts on this because It's something that I have personally experienced in the past. But before we get into the the topic, I really wanted to hear more about your job. Like, why did you become a sexologist? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) So
1: mm, I grew up in a fairly conservative town here in uh, Texas, in a small town in Texas. And I was kind of given the message that you should wait until you're married to have penetrative sex. So I did. So I got married when I was 26. I was a virgin when I got married. And my first sexual experience was very painful. It was incredibly painful. And I was super frustrated. And I thought, this is what I waited for? (laughs) (laughs) And so um, we actually continued to have really painful sex for me our whole first year of marriage. And I started to feel things like, shame and resentment and anger towards my partner and just a lot of really not helpful things to experience in your first year of marriage. <laughs> um, and so after, after the first year, I went to see an OB-GYN who said, you know what, Celeste, I've done a full physical exam. I don't see anything physically wrong, really. I think all of this pain would just go away when you have your first baby. Mm-hmm. And that was a really bad answer <laughs> because babies don't necessarily fix anything and probably wouldn't have fixed my painful intercourse because it was more internally related to my my messaging, my messaging that I got growing up and the fact that I just didn't have very much, very effective sex education. And so I didn't know it. But at that time, at that moment in that doctor's office was when I realized that I was going to, you know, have to figure this out on my own. So uh, at that moment was when I started to become the person really that I needed that could hold my hand and say, I see that you are struggling. I see that you feel resentment. I see that you feel shame and help me work through those feelings, not just
0: tell me to have babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I've been told as well. <laughs> mm, mm. So- I'm We're sorry by an OBGYN uh, in Jamaica. So it's a, it's a, I guess it's a very popular answer to that question. Yeah,
1: I think it is. And tr- honestly, um, I'm married to a physician now, not an OBGYN, an ER doctor, but I know that there's not much sex education that happens in medical school. Traditionally, I think it's getting better, but there's just not a whole lot happening. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, how has your view of sexuality changed Or how has your sex life changed since you started your career? Well,
1: my sex life was was what really essentially got me into my career. Once I had that doctor's visit, I decided I wanted to start studying sexuality. And so I was already getting a PhD. So I just added kind of sexual health behaviors into my studies. And once I started to learn more about sex, once I started to experiment more with my own body and my own sexuality and get to know my body better, then the pain started to fall away. I started to address the messages that I got growing up, like sex isn't going to be good unless you wait until you're married or you're going to go to hell if you don't, you know, if you have sex before you're married, those kind of messages I had to wade through um, and undo essentially before I felt liberated enough to have great sex. And so really my sex life took me to my career and once I was kind of in my career, I had worked through all of the pain and was feeling really liberated. And I thought, if I could do this, then probably I could help other, there's probably somebody else out there who experiences painful intercourse, I bet I could at least point them in some direction. And yeah. so um, I actually got my sex life to a really pretty good point before I started my career on, on my own as a sexologist.
0: Sexual shame comes in many shapes and forms. How would you define it? Hmm. So this great sexologist
1: named Tina Shermer Sellers, she says that she thinks our first concept of shame is sexual shame. Because when we are babies, a year to 18 months is the first time that we actually reach down to touch our genitals. And typically, this is the first time that a parent will say, no, like, don't do that or push your hand away, because it's they feel ashamed, they feel ashamed as a parent, or they don't want you to do that. Um, And so that's the first time that we feel as babies, shame, and it happens to be sexual shame. And so sexual shame is really the feeling that you aren't good enough, sexually, or, um, your sexuality isn't good enough. And it is a little different than guilt. I kind of put them in two separate categories. So guilt is a feeling that you get when, oh, maybe I should go, you know, apologize to Bianca for being, you know, short with her earlier. That's like guilt. It helps you kind of redirect and make things right with somebody else or with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas shame is a feeling that you're not enough that you're not good enough, that you're that you are bad to your core. And so sexual shame is that feeling, but associated with um sex acts or sexuality.
0: With the sexual shame that I've experienced in life, I never thought about it in the sense of, okay, maybe it had anything to do with the religious beliefs that I was brought up on. Mm-hmm. I had to first admit that I was carrying shame. And then I had to dig deep to find out what was the root of that shame. And when I did, what came up or what came to me was the fact that talking about sex, being open about sex was just never okay in my household. Sex was never discussed with me as a child. All I knew it was bad and you shouldn't have it. Everything I learned about sex, I learned at school or from my friends. And so I grew up feeling very uncomfortable whenever the topic of sex came up. Like even right now, if I was supposed to watch a movie with my mom and there are people kissing or looking like they're about to have sex, I get really uncomfortable. Like I feel like I need to leave the room. Now, is this something that you can relate to at all? Oh, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And honestly, I think a lot of people feel this way and probably a lot of your listeners feel this way because even if you if you grew up in church or not, even if you didn't, typically we're not having great comprehensive conversations about sex in our homes or in our schools. most of the information that we get is reproductive information when in reality, the vast majority, like 97% of the sex we have is for pleasure and connection and not reproduction. But that's the only education we're given, if any, right? And so shame appears when we try and hold things in the darkness because our sexual thoughts are normal and natural and they happen even as young people. But when we're not given a permission, We're not. we're not given permission to think sexual thoughts because nobody else is talking about sex in real ways and not just reproductive ways, we feel shame because the implicit message when you don't talk about sex is that sex is dangerous or that it's going to hurt you or that you're a bad person if you think about sex or if you have sex, right? And so that message... A- that's given to us a lot of times from religion. Um, But it's also given to those, you know, again, who who don't grow up in religion. It's just that we don't talk about sex and we don't talk about it. We feel bad for having sexual thoughts because nobody has ever said that that is normal. So absolutely, I totally relate with your feelings. Sexual shame is something that even as a sexologist, I talk about sex all day, every day for my job. And there are still moments where I have to manage triggers that I get around something sexual and I, and I can manage and I manage them really well, but because of the way that I grew up and my upbringing around sex and that sexual shame that was rooted from very early on, I still have to manage shame, sexual shame. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: How do we teach our children? that sex isn't a bad thing without encouraging them to engage in sex before they are ready. Because I feel like that's one of the reasons why it wasn't talked about in my household, that, that maybe my mom felt like if she talked about it that we would want to have it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, actually
1: we know that the more we talk about sex and the more sex education kids have the healthier they're going to make their sexual choices and typically more delayed so teaching our children everything about sex is going to help help them make better, more healthy sexual choices. That starts at the very beginning of their life. And that starts with telling them and describing their genitals as what they are, a penis and a vulva or a vagina instead of a hoo-ha and a tee-tee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Because you're establishing yourself, the apparent, as the one that can be trusted with sexual information. And yeah. so you start there with properly naming genitalia and you just have a conversation after conversation after conversation that just matures as they mature. And it isn't that telling them, you know, how great sex is, is going to make them go out and have sex. Telling them how great sex is, is going to help them respect it enough to make healthy choices.
0: Yes, yes. I have spoken to my 11-year-old about sex, and um, now that you talk about the naming of the genitals and uh, things like that, like for me, it came very naturally to have those conversations with him uh, from the day he was born. And I think it, it, it was because I was really in tune with what happened to me and my own sexual shame, and I didn't want him to ever have to feel that way. And what I find is that as difficult as those conversations are to have sometimes, they do exactly what you just said. Like one, they, they've they brought me so much closer to my son. Like I feel like he would not be the type to just run out and just have sex all willy-nilly because he's curious, because he knows from mom what it is.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, we've had those conversations in in depth, and he understands the value of sex. I definitely think that there are a lot of benefits to having these conversations with our children at an early age. Of course, the conversations, I feel like they need to be age-appropriate. Well, I really love that you bring up that it was easy or felt natural for you
1: to have these conversations with your son because you had already done the work of managing your own sexual shame. And so I really think this is where the conversation with children starts is you yourself as a parent saying, coming to terms with if it's hard for me to talk to my kids about sex, I probably carry a good amount of sexual shame that I need to work through so that I can have clear, honest conversations with my child. So really that is where it begins. It begins Even before you have those conversations with your child, you know, but having a conversation, and I love that you say that is age appropriate, that just matures as they mature. They can, they can know about sex pretty early on. My kids, I have twins who are eight, they knew about the process of sex probably by the time they were four or five, but in very, very simple terms that were just like, you know, I taught them how sex works and I also taught them like, how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like simple, simple (laughs) terms, you know, and then we just continue to add on to it. You don't have to go into love and orgasm and connection and intimacy when they're four, but you do need to address those, build a foundation so you can address those things when they're 10 and 11, you know what I mean? So it's just a conversation that matures as they mature.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. I want to switch the conversation up a little bit to talk a bit about orgasms. Mm -hmm. because it's something that I feel like everyone should have and have (laughs) lots of. (laughs) And I think that far too many people are not having them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think that sexual shame contributes to the lack of orgasms many people experience? Yes,
1: I absolutely do. So if we think about the idea that we grow up with that sex the underlying message that sex is dangerous or that you should be ashamed of your sexuality or ashamed of your body it really takes away our desire to explore our body or when we do explore our body or explore our bodies with a, a partner or even after marriage it it can feel gross or dirty or it can feel Like the opposite of pleasure. And we know that most women have most of their orgasms through clitoral stimulation, which is outside of the body. And so if most women have their orgasms this way, self-exploration becomes really important to really become an expert at your own body so that then you can give informed consent for somebody else to touch you. And so really understanding your own body is the key to orgasm and sexual shame disrupts the way that you feel about exploring your body and therefore can disrupt um, the route to orgasm.
0: So I was sexually abused as a child and I find that as an adult, I still carried a lot of shame from that. I still felt responsible. I still felt dirty. I still just, I felt angry. I I just had so many feelings about the things that had happened to me like so many years ago. And I brought that into my marriage. I brought that feeling, those feelings into my marriage and into my relationships. Now, my question for you is, do you, do you think that people who have experienced sexual abuse, experience sexual shame in a different way than others? Or is it just all the same thing? Hmm. It's a beautiful question. And I would just want to say, I'm sorry
1: that that happened to you. That's not okay. So I think that abuse is an abuse of power, and in this case, sexual power. And I do think that abuse survivors or trauma survivors experience shame in a, in a different way and maybe that means it's more deeply rooted or maybe that means it's more complex or nuanced but i do i do feel like it is different than somebody who just like me grew up in a wasn't sexually abused but did grow up in in an oppressive kind of situation with conservative roots right i think they are different so somebody who has experienced trauma in the form of sexual abuse must typically spend a good amount of time with a trauma care specialist, like a trauma therapist to help understand their triggers, to help understand how to speak to earlier versions of yourself, speak to your inner child and soothe them, let them know that, you know, they're going to be okay and that there's you're sorry, nobody was there to help them at that time. So giving sexual abuse survivors, tools to help manage triggers that show up in your current sex life is really the work of a of a trauma specialist and because that trauma we would say capital T trauma is kind of severe from early childhood there are different things that you do to help manage it in your sex life as an adult
0: i i definitely believe in the value of therapy to deal with things like this because that's exactly what helped me like I lived so many years feeling ashamed of wanting sex or desiring a partner sexually or just having sexual thoughts. Uh, even when I was married, um, I had those feelings like something was wrong with me or this was dirt, dirty or something to be hidden or not are not to be talked about and. It was in therapy that a lot of these things came up, a lot of the feelings that I had kind of hidden for so many years, a lot of the shame, a lot of the guilt that I had felt and it was through releasing that that I was actually able to to become someone who is comfortable talking about sex and someone who's comfortable asking to be to be pleased and someone who doesn't believe that I should just sit quiet and someone else should have a Mm. a warm and fuzzy time. And then I'm there feeling excited. No, I I fully believe now that I should experience pleasure. And I am not afraid to ask my husband for what I desire and what would help me to get to that place of an orgasm. So I, I think it's so important for us to Really deal with these issues because I, great sex is important. I think it is so important to our mental and physical health, to our well being. Like, how do you think that we get past the sexual shame? How do we fully get past it? So, my way was, you know, going to therapy, and that worked. What advice do you have for anyone who is listening? What else can we do? Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you
1: for sharing your story of healing with all of us. I think that's really vulnerable and helpful for so many of your listeners. And I know that's really hard. So thank you. So moving past uh, sexual shame, I think has a lot to do with deconstruction. In other words, understanding where the shame comes from. Like sometimes it's real apparent, like sexual abuse, but a lot of times it is not real clear. Like, the sexual messages you get growing up from your church or from attending a true love weights conference or purity culture or from your parents, not ever having physical touch with each other, or there can be a lot of different reasons or ways you may have picked up sexual shame. So the first thing to do is to deconstruct where, where it's coming from. Um, And so a, a healthcare provider can do that with you to really look into the messages that you got growing up and see where what messages you're still holding on to that are impeding your ability to be fully liberated in your bedroom.
0: So Celeste, you've touched on religion a lot and I agree with a lot of the points that you made. And I just want to just reiterate the fact that we're not bashing religion or, you know, like bashing anyone's beliefs. I mean, I definitely believe in sex after marriage but my challenge has always been with the way that a lot of a lot of christians a lot of religious people and a lot of um a lot of uh, religious parents talk about sex mm-hmm. uh, with their children and just just in the church in general like i just grew up hearing so much about how bad sex was and about how wrong it was if you had premarital sex. And uh, while it is that I, I don't encourage that, I don't feel like that is the correct approach because that kind of messaging can affect someone's entire outlook on sex for the rest of their lives. I feel like there has to be a way and we have to get to a place where we're able to have these conversations in our households Yeah, I absolutely agree.
1: And I do identify as Christian as well. And one of the things that's helpful to kind of change this narrative, because I do feel like religion has a beautiful opportunity, right? To explore sexuality, this, this beautiful, pleasurable act that's connective between two people. Um, I do feel like Christianity has this opportunity to talk about how we view sexuality through maybe three lenses. So you have your, Belief system, which maybe is scripture or Christianity. And then you have your intuition, which maybe I would call Holy Spirit. And then you have sacred creation, which is what I would consider sex education. So learning about your body, learning about sex, and learning about all of the different things about sex. So when we take a more comprehensive approach to teaching our kids about sex, we help them develop healthy sexual systems instead of fearing sex. And so I think taking the le- those three lenses instead of just one lens can be really helpful in establishing healthy behaviors for our kids. And it's not that abstinence or waiting until you're married to, have, to do certain things is uh, negative on its own. It's just that when we create fear around not doing that, that creates some trouble once you get married.
0: Yes, 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 definitely. I agree with you 100%. Celeste, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was such a great conversation to have. I feel, I, I really enjoyed just hearing your insights on this topic. You shared so much uh, knowledge with us today, and I just want to let you know that I really do appreciate you coming on If we want to learn more about you or schedule a discovery call with you, where do we go?
1: (laughs) So you can go to drslessholberg.com. That's where you can find my discovery call link where you can um, schedule a discovery call and we can chat for 30 minutes about what's going on in your sex life and how I may be able to help or how I may be able to send you in the right direction for help. And then you can also download my 20 sex enhancing questions. So I have a a freebie on there where you can find this kind of platform for having better discussions about sex with your partner. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Celeste Holbrook or Dr. Celeste Holbrook.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I'm going to go check out those questions. I didn't see that when I was on your website. I'm going to go check that out. But thank you so much uh, for this conversation. And I will go ahead and put your links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to uh, check out Dr. Celeste Holbrook, then you can just check out the link. Thank you, Bianca. And that's a wrap on Season 2 of the Once Broken Podcast. Until next time, stay real.